Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I, your host, Connor McQuivy, talk to a variety of folks here in the northern Nevada area about all sorts of stuff. This is a pretty broad general interest podcast. I try to talk to a little bit of everyone. And this week on the show, we're talking art with Pan Pantoja, former poet laureate for the city of Reno, executive artist from the Potentialist Workshop, which is just recently, a few days ago, opened Upside Down Land, which is their immersive, interactive art experience. Super cool stuff, and very excited to have something like this here in Reno. We talk a lot about what it is on the episode, as well as art in general. Pan's work in the arts field over many, many years here in Reno, his involvement in a lot of different organizations that you're probably familiar with, and really just the importance of art and different ways of thinking. This is one of the, I would say, most interesting and introspective episodes that we've had about not just art, but what it means to interact with other people, what it means to perceive the world in different ways. Really fascinating, and I'm very excited to share it with you. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for a little peek at a bonus segment. This season, I'm doing bonus segments of the show, a little bit extra with each of our guests, available exclusively for patrons of the show. If you want to support the show financially, you can do that on patreon.com slash renoites. This is a community-oriented, listener-funded kind of thing, so you are welcome to help support it and make it financially sustainable. It makes a huge difference. Spread the word, tell your friends, but also throw me a few bucks a month if you have that to spare. It really makes all the difference in the world, and hopefully will help this show continue to exist. If you ever have suggestions for guests or feedback or ideas for the show, please let me know. You can follow me on Instagram. That's my main social media channel. That's at Renoites on Instagram. Or just shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at Renoites.com. I always love to hear from listeners. This episode, like many others this season, was recorded at the National Automobile Museum. They have a podcast studio space in there now, and... They have a theater, and they're doing a speaker series. There's a lot going on over there, so I highly recommend you check out the National Automobile Museum if you haven't been in a while. And now, this week's guest on the podcast from the Potentialist Workshop, Pan Pantoja. Pan Pantoja of the Potentialist Workshop, Savage Mystic Gallery, and Reno's former Poet Laureate, and artist of many different types. Welcome to Reno. Yes. Oh, awesome. It's so good to be here. This museum's really cool. I haven't been here in a while. Yeah, it is a cool spot. It's nice to be able to record in kind of a different space. I've done most of my recording either online or in my living room. So it's nice to have like a little more studio vibe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. So yeah, welcome to the show. I have, I was looking up what to talk to you about today and art stuff because I know that you're a poet and I was like, oh yeah, we'll talk about poetry. I had a episode with uh, Spoken Views. Oh yeah, you were there at the Spooky Slam. You won the Spooky Slam. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, poetry. And I know that Pan does other art stuff. And then the more that I looked, I was like, oh, Pan's been involved in like every major art thing in Reno that I can think of, like the Holland Project and the Generator and right, like so much art stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't even care to hold on to it. I, it's it's I just want to I just want to make it happen. And that's the mm-hmm. whole purpose of the word potentialism. I just I think this modern society telling us to be one thing for some of us that is so unnatural Mm -hmm. it's the most unnatural thing to me to focus my life on one thing and then the counter argument to that is well then if you don't just do one thing no one you won't make a difference i really don't think that's true Mm -hmm. i mean look at the renaissance artists get out of here yeah yeah tell me more about the potentialism because that's the name of the potentialist workshop and you describe yourself that way and I saw there was an interview in Our Town Reno where you read this 
potentialist poem, right? That is kind of like a foundational thing about what you do. Can you just talk a little bit more about what that means and why that's the core of your, you know, artistic thinking? Yeah, the I I said the word potentialism when I was I believe 18 or 19 and it was to a group of they just happened to all be old bearded white men and they ran museum systems and they're were big time artists. They've all passed since and and they're amazing and left a good legacy every one of them. But I stood in front of them and I gave my this is what I'm going to be and and then they just looked at me and they're like, "We'll prove it." Like, you know, you're full of, you're full of it, kid. And I totally proved it. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I, I, the poem that you uh, referenced, the city of Reno actually owns that poem. They printed it and it's in a lot of the government offices. Hmm. It's just a good thought, a, a good, for me, a, a good place to not look at things as mistakes, but opportunities. Mm-hmm. So when I, I, at the end of the, that poem, it, I, I repeat, I'm a potentialist and I'm never wrong. I don't mean be a jerk and don't apologize when you hurt someone's feelings. I mean, I, what I mean is that that mistake is maybe just an opportunity to become something else mm-hmm. and that we can make, in, in my case, art out of anything. But that word can go to, to anyone. I, for instance, I have a friend who's He's a medical doctor, he's an audiologist, he's, he's a real doctor, and he's an MC. Hmm. And he's a pretty well-known MC. Goes by apprentice when he, when he is behind a mic. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to be a full human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the idea of potential is it's open and forward-thinking, right? Like, for something to have potential means that, you know, anything can happen kind of thing. And I think that that has a limitless future, right? Like potential is inherently kind yeah. of like a limitless concept. Yeah. I had a manager once that drove him nuts because we'd be at this, we'd be at this huge event and he'd come up to me and he'd be like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and he would go ape shit. He's like, oh my God, I don't know. What do we like? Like, and then later he said, I finally get you. When you say that you don't know what's going to happen, no one does. But he said, but you, but you, you somehow pull a positive out of it. I don't know what's going to happen. It could be, it could become anything. And I'm open to that. Yeah. I mean, there's an excitement in that of kind of like the unknown. And I think that's a big part of like the art world in general too, right? If something is too fixed and too clear and too understood, it ceases to have the, the appeal or the interest that I think most art needs to be, to be interesting. Absolutely. And with this new exhibit, we're building Many people, our previews have come through and said, this feels so organic. And I think right now, a lot of us are getting our art is made by a computer. Mm. And there's something really missing from that. And you don't even know what it is until you walk into something like what we built. It feels different. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like a direct copy. It doesn't feel like plagiarism. Right. Yeah, something, you know, something unique, something that it doesn't reference anything else, sort of. I mean, I haven't seen the exhibit yet. So let's, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about what oh, the, yeah, yeah. the Upside Down, it's called Upside Down Land, is that it? Yeah, this is House of Infinite Potential. The House of Infinite Potential is what we call ourselves, the potentialists call themselves when we build a, now we use the word immersive, but they, 
They used to just be called installations. So we've been doing, we would call them potentialist shows. They've moved into this word immersive and it's such a hot word. Like literally everybody's calling themselves immersive. Like mm-hmm. I'm like come this immersive shopping experience. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. But we, they used to just be called installations and we've been doing that since the beginning of potentialist mm-hmm. since 1999, been going in and changing space. And we began just calling them potentialist shows. So yeah, you can walk into this one, crawl on it, go up it, go down it. There's over 200 sculptures in it. It's based off of made up bedtime stories that I tell my kid that I've been telling him since he's small. Mm -hmm. And it's completely oral. The team was like, is this written down anywhere? I'm like, not this time. Not really. No, it's not. It's not even written down. It's just a story. And so- when I was working with the team, I didn't even tell them the whole story. I only told them the story of the area they're in. Mm. And that worked out really, really well. The team is 100% all-stars. Uh, and I know everybody says that about their team, but I'm talking like my team runs everything in town. Mm. Like Alicia runs a generator, Sprocket runs punk rock flea market, and Reno glass etching with Naomi. And so on and so forth. None of them needed to hang out here. Wrecking House, Colin O'Brien, they did not need this. This is not a boost for them. And they still came and did it. Yeah. Why? Because it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to. I want to ask you more about the exhibit and kind of the uh, what it's like putting it together, and also just a little bit more about how people do experiential art stuff. But let's go back. Can I go back a little bit further? Oh, like, because you. Yeah. Again, you work in a lot of different artistic disciplines, and you've always been an artistic person. I was reading kind of your, you've sold your first piece of art when you were six, and you had your first show at 14, that kind of thing. So you've always been, from like a very, very young age, an artistic person. And you have said that, you know, that was fostered in you when you showed artistic interest, that people supported that and helped you move in that direction. Can you just talk a little bit about young Pan and when you started to have an interest in art and when you realized that was something you want to do, how did you go in that direction as a person who is working and living as an artist, as kind of like, I would say your core identity, at least that seems from the outside. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Like the, the concept of being an artist and knowing that that's what you are from a young age. Yeah. I, I, I don't hold on to identity very much. I, I really, I really don't think Mm -hmm. I'm anything. And if, and if tomorrow I'm something else, that'll be fun. Yeah. And that's okay. But yes, people call me an artist. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, where I came from, they just thought I was from the moon. It's farming and it's mining and it's, why aren't you work, going to go work at the mine, you know? And, and I, I just, some of us are just born really strange. Mm-hmm. I will say, because I work with a lot of strange people. I'm very lucky that I can also, I just call it doing math. I can also do the math. I can sit here and I can talk to you mm-hmm. and, and I can keep my Wiley in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do this and, and I can run the business and pay the taxes and, and, and a lot of us are so strange. We can't do that even, mm-hmm. but I'm very lucky that I can. Yeah. <laughs> so that that has been very helpful. I would recommend a business degree to any artist over art school. Hmm. Sorry, art school. I taught art school. 
I'm not not bashing you. Yeah. It's a good place to go practice, but I'd really recommend business school over that. Mm. Tell me more about that. How you learn and think of the things you want to make sure that you know as you're working as an artist, right? Like obviously you need to know how to do some business things. How do you think about training and education and and learning along the way? Sure, I taught for 20 years. I I I love my teachers. That is a hard, thankless, most of the time, payless job. And that is truly done out of the love of those people's hearts. So anyways, when I would teach in colleges, I would start the semester like this, and I would always get called into the dean's office. I would say, who here wants to be an artist? And they all do because they're in, in art class. Who wants to be a famous artist? Only two or three of them have the guts to raise their hands. Mm -hmm. I wish they all would, because I'm like, why, what are you doing here then? Mm -hmm. But two or three of them would raise their hands, and to those ones, I would say, great, take all of the money out of this college, all of it, and throw one party with all of that money, and you will be farther along in the art world than you will be at the end of the schooling. Hmm. Because the, the art world demands now, and spontaneity, and in that being in the now that really shapes our future. A lot of the, you know, the way our buildings are built and all that, you know, that's Picasso. He did cubism and that became what our buildings look like. I say just be now and create. And amongst our group at Potentialist, we encourage each other to that extent so far as to say even it doesn't even matter what medium or, or genre you're doing, or even if it's even in the same field. If you start a painting and it's a better opera, then you should make it an opera. Mm -hmm. So all of the potentialists are poets and writers and actors and performance artists and painters and muralists and sculptors. We don't have a difference between that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of us now. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like, what is this? You know, it sounds like it's not just you. It's a collective, right? It's not just the space. It's the people. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. the uh, the community and the collective element of what not just you as a potentialist, but the potentialists is really about? Yeah, we're, it's not a normal job where you clock in and no one's anybody's boss. Believe me. <laughs> so a, a, a collective happens when you have a, a similar thought or a mind. And how you pursue that, we don't, we don't pressure each other to pursue it even the same way. How I pursue it may interest someone and they may learn from that. And I learn from everyone I'm around constantly. But we think that to be a modern artist, you should be not the jack of all trades, but the ace of all trades and then create something hmm. so that you can make anything you want if it calls for it. Even saying that, the the outside world in, in media and how we post that, they still cornhole us. We mm. they they you know, this person's a muralist. Yeah, they yeah, that you like their murals. Okay. <laughs> but they do. <laughs> they that's not all that potentialist does. And we have potentialists that have moved all over the world right now. Pacific calls himself a potentialist and he runs the Neo Art Gallery in Rwanda. Kikagar hmm. in their capital. And he comes to a lot of our stuff and we go to a lot of his stuff. So yeah, this this idea is widespread and it and it really allows 
for some flexibility in these rules that are all made up anyway. It just, it, it seems to be a way that I can navigate that. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Before we hit record, you were talking about how everything's made up. So can you expand on a little bit of that about how oh, I would love uh, it's, to. It's all, it's all made up. Yeah, I would love to. And in fact, that's why we made Upside Down Land. That's why the house did this latest project. Just want to remind everyone that the entirety of it all, the way your streets look and your cars and and the street lights and everything, someone made that up. And the majority of, of us said, sure, that's real. It can become anything. And to look at the wider world... For whatever reason, they they would really love it, love us very scared. And I could name they. There's six families, and you can look that up. And that is an old method of control. Back when they were talking about magic, they would say that in order for us to, in order for us to make the world we want, you need to give us permission. And permission is 4951. The 51, that's the world you live in. And the second you say, I, I think there's a better world, and, and it slips the other way, that is the world you'll live in. Hmm. And so we made this entire world up, and it looks made up. And it's very disorienting. And we want, in this small box that we made, it's not small. The exhibit's huge. I'm sorry. It's, you're going you're gonna to get a full walkthrough. You'll, yeah. be, you'll, you'll be very satisfied. But in this small box that we made, it is, is a great thing to point to and say, I can do that on my street. I can do that in my town or in my city. I can do that with my nation. Because mm. I think the majority of us are, are sick of the, the amount of fake, fakeness. I call it the, the invisible tiger that chases you. That bills do. It's going to eat you. It's not going to eat you. Don't pay it. It's not going to eat you. Like, they're, they're not going to do anything to you. I mean, do you think that people's fear in general is their primary limiting factor in our ability to, to thrive as humans and to, to be what we could be? Is that the limiting factor for most people, you think? No, fear is the tool. The limiting factor is lack of imagination. Hmm. And they'll scare you to the point where you cannot imagine anything else. You cannot imagine anything, but it, we're going to have to blow each other up. That's all, that's all I can imagine. That's how, the only way this is going to end. That's all you can imagine. Give me a break, dude. Yeah. Give me a break. Like, okay. There's the very obvious sense of being in an imaginary world clearly is going to open up your imagination. But what about things like poetry and like music and visual arts? How do those tie into this idea of creating more imagination for folks, you know, on a, a maybe a more subtle way or uh, in a different way. But is it all, is it all geared towards imagination? Oh yeah, 100%. The music decorates time and visual arts decorate space. Hmm. When you can combine those two together, you've really got something palpable, like something that's, that's going to be ready to explode and, and, and change. When you can flow in between all that without even thinking about it, then you really feel free. Hmm. And not just in art, you just feel free. You can walk outside and be like, whatever happens, I can manipulate this. Hmm. 
I use the word, people don't like the word. My crew's like, stop saying manipulate. <laughs> it's a negative word. I'm like, yeah, it's what, it's what you're doing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like the, the, the technical definition, like manipulating something is basically just moving it, right? It is, yeah. you know, it's, it's doing a thing that's having an outward impact on something, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not, I'm not trying to fool you <laughs> giving me your money. Right. Or you can give us your money, though. Yeah. I'll take your money. But no. Being a po- the poet laureate, that was one of the coolest things I've ever got to do. And especially when I would go do musical shows and they'd introduce me and they'd be like, the, the poet laureate of rock and roll. And I'd get to come out. That was so, that was so cool. Like, I, I never felt cooler than that. And I know Jesse feels like that right now. Yeah, who's the new, new poet yeah. laureate. And he's, he's another member of Spoken Views and that dude is so cool. And he really, of anybody, he really wanted that. Like, mm-hmm. he, like, he almost needed that. And I'm so glad he got it. Yeah. I'm proud of him. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, getting, getting to, to feel music and, and, and decorate time, it makes, it helped me not so much worry about time, which is also made up. There's this old book that I read that that said that the people in it is written by scientists who studied these. I'm just calling magic people, and they don't age. And they're like, it's the thing you call time is not hmm. real. And then I read another thing that said that that we light every year. You light a candle to your years going away. And that's like lighting a candle to, to the thing sucking it, like to the thing taking your power. Hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to live forever. I'm certainly <laughs> not a vampire. But, uh, <laughs> but I, just, I, just find, I just find the bending of those things very interesting. And yeah. people who, who, who break the rules or, or bend or break the rules, I find very interesting. Hmm. And nothing happens to them. By, no, by nothing happens, I mean nothing happens naturally. I think a lot of these people are definitely killed. By, by people who are very afraid and manipulated. Hmm. In fact, almost to a hundred percentile. <laughs> yeah. So. Like that, that all the, all the rules, all the limitations, those are, those are man-made, right? And, but, and those people need it so much, they'll kill over it. That's nuts. That to me is, and people call me crazy at least once a week. <laughs> like you're out, you're like, you're out of your mind. Like you're really, truly crazy, aren't you? And I, that is crazy. Yeah. Sometimes do you feel like a, a sane person in a world of crazy people? Do I feel sane? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think a lot of the things are true that we live in mm. at all. And as and as often as I can, I will prove that that they're not true. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that like kind of piercing that veil and showing people things that they believe to be true are not true can open doors for them to be more creative and pursue more? You know, truth as they define it. Yes. And that is what I count on happening. But what scares me is when I show them something in the real world, really show them, and they can't see it. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me is fascinating. And in fact, I think that's what the new science is saying, isn't it? It's saying that the world really does not exist outside of your mind. You cannot see what you cannot see period. Mm -hmm. And I find that fascinating. And if I can free as many people before I die, then I will. Yeah. I I will. However I can. Yeah. 
Love that. Tell me, tell me more about the poet laureate thing because you were the first city's poet laureate, right? No, 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 oh, no. There no, were amazing. the The current uh, state poet laureate was our was our first poet laureate. Oh, okay, Gail. Yeah, can you tell me what what is a poet laureate first for folks who aren't kind of familiar with that concept? Oh, yeah the the poet laureate is it's the highest honor a poet can get, and and we all amongst poets we always joke poetry is not popular. <laughs> who knows any poets? I know a lot of poets. They're amazing. If you don't know a poet, you need to know a poet. But it's the highest honor you can get. It's a government job. They give you, when I did it, it was a thousand bucks. And you are the city's artistic voice. You speak when they ask you to at at different events. Poetry is really good for heightened moments. It's good for when you need to rah-rah or you need to cry or you really need to laugh. And poetry, that's what a poet's for. It's a condensed thought into a very small thing. And one of the most powerful things you can do mm. is your voice. So tell me about the poet laureate history here in Reno. You said that our state poet laureate was our first city poet laureate. And then yeah. how did you, you know, where were you in your artistic work when you received that honor? And kind of what was that like? I like, I really needed it. Bukowski says the fire is almost dead. And then there's like a little bit of fuel. My fire was like, I needed a little validation and and Mm -hmm. that really, truly helped. And I had, I don't know if they're still my friend, but, but (laughs) I had a friend at the time and she wrote a, I think she even used the F word in the, like, why aren't you letting this guy, (laughs) when she wrote the letter, I'm like, okay, like they're not going to, and then they let me be it. It was so cool. (laughs) Yeah, those little bits of of that validation are so important for an artist. And sometimes that validation comes in money or an award. Everybody needs that little nudge every now and again. Hey, keep going. It's not worthless. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, I needed that. And it was during, I was poet laureate during the pandemic. So I spoke with a mask on at a lot of weird things. Hmm. And they're like, can you give the people hope. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's pretty, a lot of pressure on that one. <laughs> like, I think hope, I can Hope in it. the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, one of the things you did while you were a poet laureate too was these, like, um, things from Sierra Arts. It was like a regular performance that you were doing that was streamed and available. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, like, performance and the work you did while you were a poet laureate? They were one of the first peoples to hire me when I got into town, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then, so I've been with them or for a long time. We haven't done any projects lately. We should, Tracy at Sierra Arts, when you hear this, let's, let's do another <laughs> pro. No, she, we, 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 we talk all the time, but they asked if I wanted to do the uh, monthly poet laureate performance or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I will, I'll, I rarely turn down the chance to, to perform. So it's one of my favorite things that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of performing, let's talk a little bit about Spoken Views, because I had an episode with Spoken Views and uh, Spooky Slam, and I know Spoken Views, uh, like Jesse, is the Newport Laureate and kind of the, the face of Spoken Views right now, really mm-hmm. done a lot with Spoken Views. Can you talk a little bit about what Spoken Views Poetry Collective is and that element of Reno's poetry scene? Yeah, there was there was a bit of a poetry scene before us, and... I guess most of my life, I found a bunch of friends and we started a thing. <laughs> and Ian Watson 
and Tony Walker were the first ones and they just wanted to get together in some of the bars downtown and hang out and write and we would doodle and write and then we'd throw the the monthly event and it just kept getting more popular and then I think what really solidified it is we did a hip opera called 601am a working class opera where me and Richie Pinelli apprentice teamed up and wrote it that particular opera really changed not just like the people that were in its lives but I think the course of all of the scene in Reno and I still see that that coming together of that and then it was packed we're a bunch of kids everybody's like barely 20 and it's a hundred thousand dollar production and we're 20 and and we got the money like we we did this and and we put it up in in the big venue and it was packed and it it really changed the community like everyone after that seemed to think oh we can we can make reno something else mm. what i didn't see coming was the property people being the only ones capitalizing on that great change so like we did that and murals started happening and public art started happening and the city really switched from whatever it was doing before i just it was really desolate when i when i moved here y'all you don't know mm -hmm. there was nothing yeah <laughs> so i can really say i had a great hand in making this place what it is I'm not complaining. Reno's been very nice to me, but I just find it very interesting that the only ones that got anything out of it were these capitalist ventures who, mm -hmm. who bought all the property and are now on the verge of making it quite unlivable here. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about kind of how Reno has changed. When did you come to Reno? 2004. Gotcha. So as you mentioned, there was less of an arts focus and the city, I think, has branded itself very much as an art city and the murals kind of popped up and the look and feel of Reno has changed more towards art i think our town has also been kind of like a pretty major influence on that having like a month where we talk about art a lot and there's a lot of events and yeah kind of it's a, I, a branding thing right for totally city as I, an arts city and i moved in right when art town was about to really become what it became mm -hmm. it was it went for a couple of years before i was here i think and then and i was in the first documentary the award-winning pbs documentary about art town and i was in it and I was, I, I rewatched it the other day. I was such a young punk. I was just like, I do art year round. And this only happens once a month. And, <laughs> and, and I was like, what a punk. Anyway, <laughs> it's like, oh, don't let a 20 year old speak. <laughs> no, no, I'm, it didn't mean that to anyone. But yeah, it's been fun for me to be a real part of the city. And yeah, I was there at the beginning of Holland Project and Brit. I actually don't know. See, I'd like, I do these things and then move on. So I don't actually know their structure anymore. I know mm -hmm. who's working there currently, but I know at the time, Britt Curtis, and she might still be the, the president of it or whatever is really in charge of that. But it, yeah, that there's that. And then went and moved and started the salvagery and salvagery became eventually became generator. They've rebranded from that project. And so I helped start that. And then uh, Reno Artworks, which then became 1995 Dickerson, which is what I wanted to call it in the beginning. But but they were like, it's too that's too edgy. We just need something that everyone can understand. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, 
keep it simple, right? Keep it, yeah, Reno Artworks. That, that was a really fun project. And a lot of good things hap- happened on Dickerson Road there. Yeah. But yeah, so to just be a part of it and, and these collectives and buildings and things that are left behind, I consider those sculptures my sculptures, like these communities. And if you, that sounds possessive, but if you know anything about sculpting, you know that really the rock tells you what to do. You're not, you're just along for a ride. And it's the same thing with these communities. I have no, zero control over these. Like, like good luck controlling an artist. Like I have zero control over these guys or what they do or how they do it. But there's a invisible glue that just, that, that makes it work. And I guess tips for people who want to do that or be one of the art leaders we were talking and a couple of the, the crew are like, you know, you do projects pan and no one cries. And I'll just say like, if you want to be in charge and, and then you want it to last, then don't want anything from it. Be very Buddhist about it. Hmm. Don't, I don't want anything, you know, I don't even care about the outcome. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is, is that the, the fun of doing art is the, the process, I mean, the, the process is the art, I think I've kind of heard as a description of creating things. Yeah. And that's something Tom Franco, who uh, is involved in the Reno public market, he asked me to get on a bus and we did a tour of the entire United States making art everywhere. Hmm. Tom Franco and six of the most amazing artists I've, I've ever got to hang out with for that long. We're on that bus. They recorded it. It's supposedly going to be a, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Actually, I'm not, I'm not a Hollywood guy. Mm. I don't know what they, those are Hollywood people. I don't know. Gotcha. But yeah. there's, there's video somewhere for something. We, we were videoed almost 24 hours yeah. a day. So there's, <laughs> there's video out there. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but I hope good things. But his, his whole, Tom's whole thing is, it's more, it is totally more about the process. Like he'll show up to an art show with nothing and make, let everyone watch and and he as far as i can tell i don't want to speak for him but as far as i can tell also does not care about the outcome it's truly more about what was made and it is fascinating to watch artists work mm-hmm. especially those teetering on being master of something it looks effortless and almost like a uh, like a symphony or dance yeah you know so so he's got he's got it going on i think i'll subscribe to tom franco's notion there that yeah the process is what where it's at Mm -hmm. that's when you did the cowboy series that's that is a bunch of different like landscapes or like oh yeah different cities that you went to can you talk about that piece and kind of the documentation that you did of that trip and the art you created along the way yeah i i wore i wore my cowboy hat you know being from nevada and just you know because all the people on the bus were from everywhere Mm mm-hmm all different walks and i i thought man i that's pretty much what i am grew up rural mm-hmm. so i wore the cowboy hat the whole time across america and drew a silhouette of myself in the cowboy hat and then put all of the different cities nashville or where, wherever new york wherever we're at and just put that inside of the of the heads mm-hmm. we were all asked to do that i think i'm the only one that actually did one at, at every stop we were really insanely bit that was that trip was hard. I think those that made it were suited for it, were, had to have a certain constitution that allowed them to work nonstop with no sleep and create masterworks everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, and 
I work with a lot of artists, but I've I that was the first I've ever been with artists that have that same drive as me. Hmm. Like I work, I will work. Like I don't really, I truly don't sleep. It drives people that I'm yeah. <laughs> that I'm that live in my home with me nuts. But yeah, but I've not been around. I didn't think there were other people with that kind of drive like me. And I was on a bus full of them, and mm. it was nuts. I'm like, this is what I'm like. This is. I can see this is a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah. crazy. You, st- you start to realize how other people see you when yeah, you're around yeah. people yeah, that I'm you like, see that wow, way. Oh, okay, well, holy I cow. get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you talk a little bit about using art to document things like travel, right? So like art has, you know, it's a creative expression, but it's also an expression of a time and a place. And while you're traveling, obviously you're creating art that reflects the times and the places along the way. Can you talk about either that the cowboy series or that trip in general and kind of like how you've used art to document over time and like the time and places that you're at yeah it's more documenting the now and if you do that then it's always now so that if you look at it again it's still now hmm. i'm not so much into documenting time i mean i draw myself on my birthday every year you know what i mean I've done that since I've been small. And mm. when you put them together, it's kind of neat. Oh, I bet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, just grabbing grabbing a little bit of, a, of of what's happening right now and getting it down. Even if you're painting a flower, you know, that you painted that rose and someone sees it and, they, and they're reminded that's, and they can smell like they're not by a flower, but they're like, oh, I haven't stopped. I, need, I can still smell that. Mm. Like, I, like, I need that again. That's now. Yeah. That made that person now. They're in their head doing whatever, and they saw that, whatever it is, a picture of a duck or whatever it is. And then, then they're like, I, but I'm now. Like, so hmm. that's, that for me is, is what it is. But, but I, I can, I can see that, that if they use that for historical context, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, that's what it looked like when at that now. That trip was crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm really, truly grateful. I got to go on that. Yeah. How did that come about? Like, what, uh, what started it, or what initiated the, that? Yeah, the Tom Franco has the collective that he runs, and they were unable to do shows, and California was still shut down, but we could do a show. So we invited them all over, and we did a show. When you work with these, when, with these people, like, there's just cameras all the time. It's like it's. I don't know how they live like that. Actually, it's kind of fun. I actually, I shouldn't say that. Like, if you ever get the chance to live like that, you probably should. <laughs> it's so cool. But uh, yeah, we, we had a good time, a really good time. And then he invited me up to a artist retreat. We're just making, I think we were doing prints with a Russian fellow who works out of Chicago. And he's like, hey, well, I was thinking about making this bus and, and, and doing a big trip. And I said, you know what? That is exactly what you, we need to do right now because everyone's afraid and they're stuck inside. And what's the exact opposite of that? Let's do that. And I thought that was brilliant. I, I was like 100% and then not expecting anything to come of that. And then he called me up and he's like, we leave, we leave in a week and a half. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you're already on the poster. You can't say no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay. Here we go. 
Nice. I know we're hopping around a lot, but that the cowboy pieces, that's part of the Savage Mystic gallery now. Is that right? Or has um, been related to Sa- the Savage Mystic? Savage Mystic is, I think, is, is selling. That gallery is selling. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about Savage Mystic gallery? Because that's also a space that you have been pretty heavily involved with, right? Yeah. I met Morgan Savage and we really just hit it off. And then the potentialist gets paid to create space too. So she just wanted to pay us outright to create a gallery with her name on it. Mm -hmm. But then she liked hanging out and she's like, do you want to curate? And I was like, yeah, I love curation. And so I've I've been curating for her. And then we took her to the potentialist and then she's, she wanted in on that. And so she bought into the potentialist. And so we, we incorporated. So her and I are on the incorporation of Mm -hmm. potentialist. And I got to tell you without her, we're moving ahead in leaps and bounds now, whereas we were fighting through the thick before. Mm-hmm. I was never going to quit. I was, I'm going to get through the thick. I don't care if I can leap through it or yeah. to push through it. <laughs> <laughs> but she is, she is allowed leaps and bounds to happen because of uh, the access and freedoms she has. So I'm forever grateful for Morgan Savage and the Savage Mystic Gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things it says on their website is that you also provide spiritual healing art services, including providing art fortunes. Can you, what's, what's an art fortune? Can you talk a little bit about the, the spiritual element? Of oh, the are art we going to get you weird? Do? You want to yeah, talk well, about yeah. weird stuff? Absolutely. Right, yeah. Tell me, tell me about, about art fortunes stuff. and spiritual stuff, either um, as it relates to the, that gallery or just in general on the art that you do. Every piece of art that I do is comes from somewhere else. I call it getting kicked in the ass by the sun. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where I, I, I let go and that's how it happens. So I, I have to preface this with this. There is a lot more going on than we can see. And you know, that's true because you know, microwaves work and you know, x-rays work and you can't see them. And there's a lot of examples. There's radio waves. Yeah. There's like spectrums of light. You can't see it. That's still there. It's still going on. So for me, doesn't it make sense that that much larger invisible world has more effect on what we see than the other way around? And I'm a, I'm a rule breaker. And so are many of these mystics and, and spiritual people. I just call them magic. It's just magic, real magic. And I've seen things that'll turn your hair white. Very strange things. And I was very grateful that the world shut down when it did because I, I was able to receive some training from the, the Psychic Institute. So I, I, I'm actually a graduate of them. And that was very helpful to me in a lot of ways. So the art fortunes are, I will, I'll sit across from you and I will write you a poem and there'll be a drawing and people leave crying and like, how did you know? I, I don't, I just am just being now. I've done them since I've been 14 and I didn't know what they were when I first started doing them. I just called them a painting and a poem. Mm -hmm. But like I said, people would have real reactions to my paintings and poems <laughs> and then slowly through time masters have told me what i'm what i'm doing and suggested that i might have other i might be open to other ways of seeing and it turns out i am 
<laughs> so, and Morgan uh, went under the same uh, training that I did at the Reno Psychic Institute. Yeah, those are some really neat people. And to be clear, I'm a I'm actually a practicing Buddhist, and I like that. I needed a something to bring the my kid up in. Mm-hmm. You know, humans are funny. I think because we're the only animal that just does not remember how to be. You have to teach a human how to be a human. They don't remember. <clears throat> like they don't. It's not like innate to us mm-hmm. for for a lot of us. You have to be like, don't hit, don't hit, little Johnny. Hitting leads to other hitting, and you have to like, don't don't steal, you know, because that will come back, like you know. So like, we're we're funny creatures that way. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of your you know Buddhism and your spiritual practices and how they relate? I mean, it seems there's this apparent connection between being in the now and the art that you create and some of the things you've talked about already. But can you just talk a little bit more about kind of the personal spiritual element? in creating art that you do? Artists have a maybe an easier time with this than most because all of us are literally creating a world. Mm. We, we know that we can create a world, are doing it. Which is also why, you know, when things go wrong, we're one of the first things that are eliminated throughout his, historical events. They're like, get rid of the artists first because mm-hmm. <laughs> they, will, they will see through this veil this trick we're doing they'll they'll just see through it mm-hmm. of course we will like yeah. we make stuff too that guy's making something but it's bad it's gonna hurt you mm-hmm. like we can see it immediately you know you know there's a lot of very good teachers out there that did the same thing and we write books about those good teachers now do i think that those teachers actually said anything in those books probably not because i know i've been Quoted. I've I've read newspaper articles about myself. <laughs> like, huh, okay. So you know, you can just imagine. Like, but at the heart of all those books is something good. At the heart of every book is love. Everyone. Beethoven was like he he would say that whenever he was asked what his symphony was or whatever he wrote was about, he would always say it's about love. Mm-hmm. It's a love. It's love. It's about love. They're all about love. <laughs> so, and I think. I think he probably nailed it. Yeah. I think every art piece is about love. And what a powerful thing. You know how they get soldiers to kill in war? It's not hate. Most people won't kill what they hate. They won't. We don't want to. But you'll kill for love. You'll kill because you love the person next to you, and they will die if you don't kill. That's, they trick us with love. Hmm. Love is a very, very powerful thing. And... Just thinking about it and, and the world that could happen, just, it, it, makes, it just brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. Tell me about performing. I think that you are talking about love and creating love and creating art. And a lot of the art that you do is performing, right? Like spoken word poetry, you're in front of people making music, you perform music. You obviously have done a lot of like, you know, plays and acting and you're in front of live audiences as a big part of the art that you do. I mean, among other things too. So I want to talk to you about the experiential stuff with this new exhibit, but can you just talk a little bit about the performing aspect of creating art and being, you know, present in front of the people as you are creating and why that's an important part of art for you? Yeah, I was, I was hanging out with uh, Josie Rock a long time ago at an event we were at 
And we were talking and it got to the point where I just turned to him and I said, if, if you don't think all of this is a performance, like if you don't think being an artist is a performance, then you're miss you're just kidding yourself. Yeah. Paint, do you have to perform? It's how you hold yourself when you go in front of the camera to talk about your painting, mm. you know, it's all performance. If you get into the to acting or, or acting arts, theatrical arts, then things get really weird because then you're like, oh, I can just, I can act how I want to in public. I can make the situation, you feel in control. Mm. And a lot of people don't. I know that, I know the number one fear, the number two fear is being set on fire. And the number one fear is public speaking. So people would literally rather be set on fire. <laughs> yeah. And that's because I, I believe they don't believe that they have the power to influence the situation. Hmm. All the greatest salesmen, great actors, great performers. They know that they can manipulate a room. Presidents, like it's all, it's all theater. Mm -hmm. And when you learn that, that really uh, gives you the confidence to not really care. When people jab you at public, they're not going to get you with a, with a, you, you know, your, your nose is long or, Oh, you're, you got a blotch on your skin or whatever the hell people tell you to knock you down. Like, like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. cool. Cool with the way I am. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the confidence that comes from having kind of successes in performing and then realizing that power kind of builds upon itself? So I, you know, I public speak all of the time, mostly like work related. like I host trivia nights, I host a podcast, but I also have a fear of certain types of public speaking, right? Like I've never done any kind of, you know, I have had comedians on the show and I don't consider myself like a really funny guy, but the idea of doing like a comedy thing is terrifying to me because it feels unnatural, right? Like it's a performance that is outside of the scope of who I perceive myself as. So have you found that when you perform in a way that you hadn't before and you succeed at it, that it kind of opens a little bit more of a door to like, oh, wait a second, like that confidence kind of creates more confidence in different ways of performing. Yeah. You, um, you nailed it right there. I, I actually s search that feeling out. If I am doing something and I'm comfortable, I know I'm in the wrong place. This is not exciting. I, I will say though, I do to this day get nervous and, and almost the point where I get sick every time. <laughs> so, so it's not about the, it's not about that. I'm of course it's scary. I, I, I am scared and I've been doing this my whole life, but yeah, no, I, ser I, I search that feeling out. I'm like, what is new? Like, where am I uncomfortable? And I think David Bowie said, you just walk out just to the point where your toes can't touch in the water. And then that's interesting. Mm. I need that. And it gets harder and harder to find the more you go. It's <laughs> <So laughs> like, okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Jumping back a little bit, you talked about working with Sierra Arts Foundation and with teaching. And I know that you were part of having art classes at the Jan Evans Correctional Facility for, you know, youth who are being detained. And that was interesting because I was part of the Washoe County Leadership Academy thing last year. Oh, which awesome. Yeah. We helped, I guess, like it was on a break for a bit and we helped get it started again. So it's up and running. And I didn't realize that you had had a hand in that from from way back. Can you talk a little bit about that part of the the education that you did with those kids? Yeah, I made a documentary called Fables. 
And I, so I snuck, I didn't sneak it in. I did it. <laughs> I did it in plain sight. Like I had a, you can't sneak anything in the correctional facility. Yeah. They search you. But so I would, they let me bring a camera in, which I can't believe they let me do that. And then we made, artistically, we made mini, miniature movies with all the kids in my program. Mm-hmm. But what really happened was they took a look at the whole facility and made some more humane changes there. From that, I noticed that the majority of the kids in there were, the only reason they're in there is they can't pay their fine. I find it an interesting illusion that we think that for-profit places are going to actually, are going to help. By that, I mean a lot of our prison system is for-profit, means if it's not full, they don't get money. So, of course, they're going to be full. And so, these kids were having a tough time getting out. And so, I started a thing called Wonderwell. I got this building. It was on the corner of Wonder and, and Wells. Mm-hmm. Super creative, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we called it the Wonderwell. And we mass-produced artwork out of there and sold it at the markets and used all of that money to free kids from jail. And I did that until I just couldn't anymore. They just made it, they blocked that way. Mm. And that documentary, we showed it live only once and they put a block out on it and then they wouldn't let me release, release it, but they did change things. They were like, don't release that, but they changed things. Mm. <laughs> so, so I, I thought... I thought that was pretty successful, successful run at helping those kids out. Yeah. And do you think that creating art for kids who, you know, I think a lot of kids who end up in things like detention facilities, it's probably because they've had lives that haven't given them a lot of opportunity to pursue different ways of being. And do you think that introducing art and making that a part of what young people are doing, again, shows them the potential of the different things they can do and creates more pathways for them that they may not have seen before. Yeah, look, we're, look with a with a kid, you're you're going to make one of two things. You're going to make a weapon or you're going to make something that's going to help everyone. And it's not hard to do either. And a human can become either way. And these kids, I don't I don't want to say they're harmless kids. I you hear that a lot. They're dangerous. I helped one get out. His name was Lucky. I believe he's still in prison. He, I helped him get out and he actually executed one of my friends, shot him in the back of the head on a wall on Whittakin, which is why I wound up painting. They've, they've repainted it since, you know, because paint gets old. But point being, there's still art there. But I, I, I painted the entirety of Whittakin Road with Be the Change Project for that because I'm like, well, I'm going to paint this entire street from start to finish and there'll be no room to like scribble on it and get shot. And that was, that was kind of, I don't know. That was kind of a mad moment really for me to, to, to paint, not uh, mad mean crazy. I went kind of crazy. I like was, that's a crazy thing to do to paint a mile long wall, mm. you know, they're dangerous. However, I also know that a human being can do anything at any time. That's one thing that you know about a human meaning Maybe that dangerous kid will just stop and it can happen like that. Something clicks in our heads and we change Mm. immediately and forever. And I've seen that happen too. Way more times than I've seen it go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. 
But and and this is America. I, I don't know anybody who hasn't been to jail. We send our people to jail. We jail more people than any other country, you know, by far. Yeah. So it's like it's like so when someone's like, oh, I don't know, I've been in prison, and I'm like, who? So, so welcome to America. Like we're like, who cares? What are you doing now? Hmm. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the upcoming exhibit and more about the experiential art stuff too, because we've talked a little bit about performance and different mediums. And we, you know, you mentioned a little bit about kind of this installations and experiential stuff. So can you talk a little bit about that as a trend, right? I know that that's something that has become more and more common and popular. And I think there's a couple different iterations of it where there's the artistic spaces that are geared towards enlivening your sense of imagination and and showing you a different space, something that is, you know, different and unusual and, you know, turn something on in your brain. And then there's also the kind of experiential museums and stuff that are about the perfect selfie and creating your own art within the space, right? And becoming part of the art by taking your your selfie in a pit of colorful balls or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Totally. Can you can you talk a little bit about just the I guess the participation of the art consumer in the art that they are consuming and is that a part of this upside down land or how does it fit in with that kind of world of participatory art yeah there's there's i feel i feel like i'm doing a that's a, like 10 a, questions a, no I know, no I feel, I feel like i'm doing a lecture so, but oh no that's art school again but so there's there's ways to make money as an artist so you you can go work for disney or pixar and that's what my cousin did he gets paid a lot and he's awesome. And he's made some of your favorite characters, hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he had a hand in that. You can go work, work for a company. And I would, I would actually love for Disney to take a look at upside down land. Cause I hmm. think it's right up Disney's alley, but you, you can play the academic museum game. I went, I went to a very good school and, and my father gave this money to the, the Guggenheim and, you know, and then you have an exhibit at the Guggenheim. And you can pull a Banksy on the world, not follow anyone's rules, and luck out and have people say, he didn't follow any rules, and I like it. <laughs> so you can make money that way. I don't think any of the, the artists who I, who I think are afflicted with art, like I am, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think any of us do it, even considering money as a consideration. I think it's a real bummer when we can't eat, you know, when the, I mean, that realization hits you, you're like, oh crap, I don't have a home, but I made these amazing sculptures though. You know, I'm not saying that that's invisible. I call that the, the land of measures, you know, the land of measures is always going to be there for you, but I don't think any of us do this for money. I think we do this uh, in my case, because I, if I don't, I, I can't sit. Like I, I, I can't be okay with myself if I'm not, if I don't get the idea out. The Meow Wolf style has really flipped the art world on its head because they completely outdid all of the gatekeepers and they know who they are. There's one at every museum. And I, you know, I don't even hate gatekeeping. I wish there was more gatekeeping. Any fool now can say something and get a million people to look at it and agree. And there was no gatekeeping. <laughs> and I'm like, 
I'm like, you used to have to have a talent. When I was little, you used to have to be able to do something to get like anybody to listen to. It's mm-hmm. like, it's so it's a funny world we live in. So I'm not, I don't mind the gatekeepers. And, I, and part of me even wants the gatekeepers to like me. I want, I want in your gate, mm-hmm. you know? But they really circumvented that. They just said, well, we'll just, we're, we're just going to do it like almost like street art style and just bring it right to the people. It totally worked. They, I mean, th- that's a, a multi-million dollar business they created of, of art, making mm-hmm. art. And then they got, you know, Zappo and all these other places to give them a ton of money to build stuff other places. Uh, spectacular. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I live for stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. And I'm too constantly looking at money as, as part of the art too. Like, what can I do that's that creative and new? Where's the new now? And I think my whole crew is constantly searching for that. We did one called the five people you meet at the end. And when you go in, it's like a, it was a TSA. And so it was like, welcome to the end. You'll no longer need any of your physical possessions. And people like were stripping down naked. And then we put them all in a box and they'd go on a conveyor belt and they'd get it back at the end, of course, when they were reborn. So we've been doing this a very long time. We just were calling that potential shells or installations, but mm-hmm. then Meow Wolf came out and they're like, it's immersive. Mm-hmm. And then everyone is on that. I don't know if I'm a big fan of the Van Gogh, Monet stuff that's going around mm. with those, those projections. Even when like Android Jones does it, who's amazing, digital artist. I don't get the same feeling I get when it's something that is made and has mistakes. Mm. In it and some human made it. I'm not knocking any of you digital artists. Please don't contact the potentialist. <laughs> we do a digital art show every year. It's okay. But yeah, but I don't get the same feeling personally mm. that I do. Like when I walk into this exhibit, the, the Meow Wolf in Santa Fe has, has that feeling. It feels homemade, a human made, like you can like, and, it, and that, that is why they got to do everything else. I think everything else after that, in my opinion, feels commercial and, and digital. Yeah. I do think that people can sense when something is commercial, right? And, and something is made for, for money and mass produced, right? I think like you yeah. mentioned the Van Gogh shows. And I think that, uh, I think there might even be multiple companies that do that because it's kind of like it's public domain kind of you, stuff. And all free. you need to do, yeah. it's free to, you know, you don't have to actually create anything. You just have to adapt it to different spaces or kind of like make it your own in some kind of way. You don't even have to do that. You can use a Van Gogh. They're, they're public domain. Yeah. I mean, do you think that people can, can sense that whether something was made by someone with a creative interest in the art versus someone who is more of a business person than an artist? Yeah. And, and there, and Andy Warhol proved that. And then there's an artist called Mr. Brainwash who is like Andy Warhol. And then I think Banksy was quoted as saying, Andy Warhol, he made art pointless and, and, and Mr. Brainwash made it useless. So like they are something like that. So like, will it be consumed? Yeah. Are we inundated with uh, propaganda every day? Yeah. Does that, does that feel good? Not really. You know, not, not the same. Mm -hmm. Although I almost fainted walking into an Andy Warhol exhibit, the, like the power, like it was his pictures of him and all his, all his it like hit me and I almost like, it almost like knocked me. I almost fainted. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a lot, you know? So 
it obviously has power. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Coca-Cola wouldn't put so much money into it if it didn't, or yeah. if their propaganda didn't have power. Is that artwork? Yeah, they paid a lot of artists to do that. Mm-hmm. They totally did. What about the participatory element, like with the uh, the selfie museums and stuff? Is is it, <laughs> if, if, if you take a picture of yourself in an art museum, is that art? Um, I, I think, no, I mean, you're taking a picture of, of someone's art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like Man Ray and that they manipulated the objects and things to make a new picture. I, they weren't taking a photograph of nature. However, I, I mean, catching the right moment in nature is magical though. I mean, geez, you can't deny that, you know, on film, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, there's, there is no comparison in my opinion between walking in something and the majority of our art is consumed on a on a small screen we hold in our hand you know is it does it even real if you didn't take a picture of it if it's not on instagram are you even an artist Mm. i don't know i don't know the answer to that yeah can you talk a little bit about how art helps foster that right are you trying to create more opportunities for people to find each other and understand each other there's a lot we don't see do you help people all kind of see more and maybe see the same thing that they didn't realize they could see together, if that makes sense? Yeah. Be, creating space is a big part of my art because I, I know it's hard to see who you are without a mirror. A mirror, in this case, being other artists who really, you're not really going to influence that much. Not really. They're really who they are, these people I work with. I'm not going to really sway them more than they allow like want to Mm -hmm. you know and so they give me a really good mirror of what i am that's what these spaces are for and then you know collectively we we do say more than we do alone the worry for me there always is i don't want collectively to be one person's thing i i I would hate an environment if it i hope it never ever happens where people are they don't want to speak up because they think something's going to happen. Mm. I think that, that would really ruin the fun for me. And I get, they joke with me a lot. They're like, who's in charge here, Pan? Like, <laughs> what's going on? I'm like, I don't know, guys. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's find out. So, yeah, you, I'm like, you are. When, and whenever anyone, one of my greatest tricks is if anyone's like, if anyone ever you shoulds me or, or says something, I'm like, you should, yeah, do that. Mm. You should do that right now. You should do that. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the stuff at the shop gets moved along that way. Mm-hmm. Someone's like, this isn't right. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, is it just like that giving people that empowerment to, to do things themselves? And if you have an idea to do it, that you don't have to, you know, check with somebody, that kind of concept of, yeah. um, you know, autonomy and, and, and power to take initiative is something that that moves things along in a way that having to, you know, go through channels yeah. doesn't move things along. Yeah. You, you may not believe it, but you, you can just think of something cool and then you can just go do it. <laughs> you don't have to ask anybody. <laughs> it's like, you can just go do it. And so, yeah, that's, that's huge for me. Alfredo's our latest apprentice and uh, he's that guys i'll give him a shout out because i really do it to his face but he's he's that guy's a genius he's a engineer he didn't go to school got hired as an engineer like that's how smart he is (laughs) 
And he chooses to hang out with us at the shop and make weird things. And I'm grateful for him, but he, you know, he, he, oh, dang it. I was just giving you a shout out there, Alfredo. And then I lost, I lost my point. (laughs) A shout out is a point in itself, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple more questions about the exhibit that you got going on right now, Upside Down World, and also just a couple more questions about Reno as like an arts community since you've been part of it for so long. So this is not the the first iteration of this exhibit, right? So that was in it or something similar was in Miami, right? Can you talk a little bit about the the origins of this particular experience and kind of where it has come from and where it's going next, right? Like Reno's also not the last stop for this concept. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the House of Infinite Potential. So it wasn't the same exhibit at all. We built a 50-foot deep, 100-foot long, 18-foot tall structure that looked like the Coliseum. And we put it up. And then when you go into it, all of the art installation artists had all the installations and they also acted in it. So when you went into it, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. So that was that exhibit. We solidified a lot of the crew on that job. And I'm glad that I did that. Because like I said, all these people don't need they run huge facilities and have a lot of artists to deal with of their own they do not need to hang out with me (laughs) but that that really we all seem to have a good time with each other it was it's really fun and really easy and they felt that and we all felt that and so we just wanted to keep that going you know so i pitched upside down land and everyone seemed to think that was a really good idea (laughs) (laughs) so we built it and then, you know, the next project's going to be led by Colin. It's not always me. I, I told this, must have told this to Tom Franco, like Tom about a million times, but I'm like, I really prefer when I'm not, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I can just come in and be in a, I really much prefer that. I think you kind of have, have something really wrong with you to want to be in charge. Like that's. I almost fear those people mm-hmm. like, or, or not fear. I almost don't want to be around those people. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you want to be in charge? Like, what do you, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of suspicious. I mean, it's, I don't want to say that, you know, it's good to have power for, you know, agency over your own life. Like I'm not inherently opposed to the idea of power. Like you need power to be able to affect change. But yeah, there's something like a little concerning about people whose primary objective seems to be, you know, power for the sake of power or should be more interested in the power than in what then, than what they can create out of it, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's strange to me. And we get to, yeah, we're going to try to take one to Colorado and one to Texas this year. And then at the same time, we were asked to go back to Art Basel and then we were asked to do it one at Burning Man. Hmm. And so that becomes a very long year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful though. Like what opportunity? Like, yeah. Who, who gets to do that? No one. Right. Kidding me? Yeah. Excited. Tell me, so when does this exhibit open and how can people experience it? We're recording this in the very, very end of January. And I know it's opening soon. This episode, I think will be out after it's recently opened. So oh, awesome. um, assu- yeah. assuming that it is currently open when this airs, how can people check it out and learn more about it? Yeah, we will be open Starting February 10th, this exhibit will be open six months from February 10th. You can get pre-order tickets online at potentialistsworkshop.com. You can just walk up and get tickets at the door and we'll be open 11 to 6 p.m. daily. 
And then if you want to do, if you find the space interesting and you would like to throw your own event, you may do that. After we close at 6 p.m. and you can throw, your party can go all night. <laughs> we do that a lot there. There's uh, opportunity as well to, if you like what we're doing, because I should mention that Potentialist Workshop is not a participate in nonprofit activities and has not received ever wants grants from the Arts Council or anything like that. Now, I, I've, I have received, you'll be like, yes, you have, Pan, because I've read the paper. No, I, I have received, I was Reno Port Laureate. That's a totally a government job. I got money for that and have received money from nonprofits for teaching in the past. So I should say that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm also not opposed to you people giving us your money. Just that would be amazing. It would be so helpful. This is paid for by art. So the whole Potentials Workshop started because I sold a, a 35-foot tortoise. That's the reason why we have it. Mm. You know, another pro tip is if you win the lottery or have a big hit, like that tortoise was like winning the lottery, right? It rarely happens. Take all of that money and make something new with it. Mm. You won't regret it. You may be broke, but you won't regret it because it will continue then. Yeah. It's like a series of yes. I think that's what I was talking about with Alfredo. So Alfredo, Alfredo makes fun of me because he's like, do you ever say no? And I'm like, most of the time I say yes. Yeah. Because yes may lead to a failure. It may lead to a catastrophic failure, but at least it moved. Mm-hmm. N- not going anywhere with a no. Yeah. So the sculptures are for sale. You can give money and we'll give you, we have little grump grumps, the, the creatures that live in upside down land. And then we have the birds there that the team has since lovingly renamed the biblically accurate angels. You'll see why when you see them. Mm-hmm. So you can give money and we will in return give you one of those signed by the crew from, from the exhibit. And a tip for everyone in Reno right now, I would buy art because I'm pretty sure that they're going to write about this time period in history books and you will be, your grandchildren will be remiss if you did not participate and they don't find one of these paintings in their closet Mm. that is now worth more than their house Mm. that's perfect timing because that's the next question i was going to ask you is you did an interview with our town reno or biggest little streets in 2016 and I'll, i'll quote you from it you said this is the wild west here anything you can dream of you can do if you have the drive you can do it it's getting set don't get me wrong but there is not a set way here yet To some of us, that's very exciting. I think eventually they'll write about Reno like they did about Seattle in the 1990s. Yeah. How are we doing on that? That was what your, that's what you thought of Reno almost 10 years ago. Did I not nail it? Are we not the number one one city in America right now? Yeah. I I mean, we're on on several lists. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about kind of like (laughs) when you, so you came to Reno in what year again? 2004. You were working for like a decade in Reno when you said that about Reno. It's been another almost decade since. Can you talk a little bit about the the trajectory of Reno as you've seen it over those 20 years? I'm I'm pretty sure I nailed it. Yeah. And so right now we're we're at a peak and Tesla's moved in and the property values are outrageous. Some of the highest in the United States. Mm-hmm. That sounds like Seattle too. <laughs> <laughs> the, the artists here are getting known everywhere. Next time someone asks me this in 10 years, it will be too late. Mm. It will have happened. <laughs> You'll have missed it. So when I said that, 
there was a buildup to it and I, I could see this, what it is now happening. I'm like, this is, it's, it's on its way. Mm -hmm. I think they'll call this area a Renaissance area. And these were the Renaissance artists and you're living in it. You guys are lucky. Like you have no idea how rare this is. I know I've traveled everywhere. It's not happening anywhere else. Mm -hmm. There's pockets of art, but not like it is here. It's not like it is here. This place is special. And you know it's special because the Hollywood guys are moving in. They're opening up art shops. <laughs> so you know what's happening. Yeah. Don't miss that. And all of our art is still very affordable. You know, we're still not at the point where we care about money still. So I would, I would, if I was to tip anyone in the city, I would say definitely invest. Yeah. So. Right on. Well, Pam, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic. I feel like I could talk to you. I'm not even an arts guy. That's the funny thing is like, I, you know, I have an, I like to think I have a broad interest in a lot of different things, but I have not been to most of the, you know, the, the galleries, the exhibits here in Reno, but the more I hear about art and Reno's arts culture, it does make me feel like I'm missing out on something like a lot that is going on. And it's just fantastic to be able to talk to someone who's able to articulate the importance of the work that you're doing and what it means to you and just the i just i really appreciate kind of again your your energy and your clarity and your you know your thoughtfulness about all of the different things that we talked about a fantastic conversation so i just want to say extra special thing i always say thanks to all of my guests but shoot this is we're even a long episode on this one too because i'm just like there's too much to talk about. Too fascinating a guy to let you go. Uh, but thank you so much. I thank you. So really much. appreciate it. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, keep this up. This is this is a cool project. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Here's a little peek of our bonus segment with Pan Pantoja. We talked about AI. Obviously, AI art is a big thing that's in the media that we're all very aware of. So we had a few minutes to talk about what AI art really is what it means to the art community, how it's going to affect how we make or understand art. Really interesting stuff about kind of how art is changing. A very valuable bonus segment. I enjoyed it a lot, and I hope you will check it out too. This is just for patrons of the show at any level. Even if you just give $3 a month, you can listen to this at patreon.com slash Whites. Here's a little peek. Noam Chomsky just came out and said that we should call AI what it is, and it's a plagiarism machine. We shouldn't call it AI art, we should call it AI plagiarism machine mm -hmm. because that's what it is. It's not, it's not artificial intelligence. It's not coming up with something new. It's copying. Yeah. Yeah. The human mind is a fascinating computer, much more fascinating than those are right now. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that at all. They're not going to stop me from carving a rock and my rock will be here that computer won't. Hmm. They won't even know we had computers. I, I like history. This is all going to be covered by dirt. All of those things, these tablets and everything, they'll, if any of them survive, they'll think they're, they're rocks. They're not. But if they dig up my tortoise, my 35 foot granite tortoise, they'll think, my God, they worship some lizard thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there were, there were smart, there were humans here. Mm -hmm. Like there were intelligence here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I don't think any artist should fear it. And there are some things that should be replaced, like lawyers. That thing can write me the paper I need in a second. 
mm-hmm. you know, maybe those guys need less power. All my lawyer friends, please don't write me. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, there is probably, I'm not opposed to certain types of automation. I think that the the freedom that comes from being able to pursue things that are genuinely creative and interesting and fun that's the joy of being alive is being able to do the things that are actually good and i think that we are all very bogged down in the you know the drudgery of having to do administrative bureaucratic work to just like keep our society sort of functional right and i think that if there's automation that can take away the the shitty drudgery that sounds great to me. That's freedom, I think, for a lot of people. But when you start talking about automating the good stuff, right? Like, why would you automate writing? Why would you automate painting? Why would you automate even shit, podcasting, right? Like, I talk to people on this show, but there's things that like can clone your voice. Yeah. And then you, you don't even have to talk to someone, right? Like, the idea of automating away the things that actually make us interesting, that's kind of deranged to me, right? Like, why would you use that tool for the exact opposite thing that you should be? Uncreative people have been stealing Edison stole everything from Tesla mm-hmm. and a couple of other amazing people. People steal and they, and they they steal and and does that mean what you will do is less important no it means that it means you have more drudgery to stand out in but you will stand out there'll be no comparison don't be afraid just keep creating they're not going to stop anything thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Rena Whites and of course special thanks to my guest Pan Pantoja check out the upside down land exhibit Super cool. I got a chance to check it out shortly before it opened between when we recorded and when this episode is released. It's fantastic. It is really, really cool. There's over 200 sculptures. There's little secret nooks and hidden areas. It is beautiful, and I can't wait to go to more events there. It's also going to be the location for things like the Punk Rock Prom, which comes to us from the Punk Rock Flea Market folks. I'm really excited to see what happens in this space over the next six months. You can learn more about it and buy tickets at the Potentialist Workshop website, potentialistworkshop.com, or just go to the door and you can purchase tickets at the door. Next week on the show, I'm excited to invite Inyaki Arieta Barro. He is the head of the John Bilbao Basque Library at UNR. Obviously, Northern Nevada has a very important Basque history, and we haven't done a Basque episode on this show yet, so next week is the time for that. We're going to be talking about the importance of Basque history, Basque art and the Basque culture to this area and who better talk to than the man that knows probably more than anybody in this area looking forward to that one that is of course next Tuesday new episodes of Renoites every Tuesday thank you so much for listening and have a great day <laughs> <laughs>